What's the weather like out there? It's hot. Damn hot. Real hot. Hot in this is my shorts. I can cook things in it. Little crotch pot cooking. Well, can you tell me what it feels like? Fool, what is hot? I told you again. Were you born on the sun? Welcome there, cultists. We've just pulled into San Francisco's Chinatown for today's episode. Already our truck's been stolen, we've narrowly avoided being cut to ribbons by three dudes in hats in an alleyway, and we've been partially blinded by some ancient guy with light coming out of his mouth. That's right, folks. This week, Cult Classics goes looking for big trouble in Little China, and I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that the beginning of the year saw the show undergo some challenges, what with one thing and another. So we had to rearrange a few things on the fly. So uh, this episode, it was originally scheduled to be the first full one to come after our Bookaroo Banzai premiere last year, which is kind of ironic in itself. And if you know, you know. And if you don't, I'll tell you later. But as it stands, we've had to wait until now to feature this legendary John Carpenter flick. And I know for a fact at least one of our guests has had to wait an extraordinary amount of time to give their thoughts on it. So I'm sure he's dying to get to talking. Uh, speaking of, as usual, I'll not be riding the old Porkchop Express solo. So before we head back into Wing Kong territory, it's time to meet today's guests. First up, we've got regular Silverstream contributor. You'll have heard her on our recent little shop of horrors cult classics. And yep, she's back for more. It's Sandy. How are you doing, Sandy? I'm doing really good. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, have you been looking forward to this one? I have, yes. Nice one. Also joining us today is uh, the guest you last heard, uh, though probably not from the viewing figures, uh, and the uh, the booker uh, on the uh, live stream one what we did at Christmas. And if I, I would normally recommend it at this point for you to go and check it out, but yeah, it's probably best avoided. And it's Nick. How are you? Uh, how are you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thanks, dude. Very much looking forward to uh, to this one. Big trouble in Little China. Uh, don't want to give any spoilers, but I like it. <laughs> and for those wondering uh, where you heard him, maybe prior to that Christmas one, if you didn't, he joined us on our Top 10 DC Movies episode. And, uh, yeah, he also joined us on last year's and to date most viewed episode, Predator Review. It's uh, It's been a long time, fella. So, as I say, this was originally scheduled for the start of this year. But obviously that uh, that fell through. So glad to finally be here. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And finally, we've got another first timer on the Silver Screen podcast. He just couldn't wait to share his thoughts on this one. It's Ian. Welcome, fella. How are you doing? I'm good. Just shook the pillars of hell, and I'm here, <laughs> ready to go. Nice. You want to tell the? Uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Ian? Uh, I'm a 3D artist. Um, well, 3D artist animator. Uh, and currently I'm working at a place called Steel City Interactive, uh, working on a boxing game called Undisputed. Um, and I've kind of been sort of doing that for about nearly four years now, but I've, I've also freelance as well. Nice. Well, as anyone who's listened to Cult Classic series these last few months will know, we ask each of our guests an important question on their first appearance on this show. Not only does it help the listeners get more of a handle, on who they are as a person, 
But more importantly than that, it helps decide the wager between myself and Mike. So I'm going to be asking you, uh, if you had to choose, what would you consider to be your all-time favourite cult movie? And seeing as he's been hanging around for this podcast, but never, never asked this question, I'm going to go to you first, Nick. Favourite cult movie? Oh, uh, well, that very much depends on your definition of uh, cult movie. Uh, and it probably changes you know, from minute to minute. Right now, it's potentially Big Trouble in Little China, uh, just because of the uh, the recent rewatches. But uh, I don't know if um, if Princess Bride counts as a cult movie. It uh, certainly does. Then that would be number one. I think that's a clear winner for me. Somewhere Mike's like squeeing and punching the air. <laughs> I'm intrigued by the wager. Oh, it, it's every time uh, we have a new guest on, we uh, try and guess whether the person to come on has picked one that uh, a guest previously has picked. And, uh, yeah, depending who wins this, we've not decided the forfeit as yet, but so far I'm in the lead. So, yeah, it all depends on this. So over to you, Ian. What's your favourite time, all-time cult movie, if you had to choose one? Okay. Um yeah, it's, it's a funny one because, like, you always get a little bit of mixed of, like, you know, you could pick a film, but then also you've got another film in the back of your mind all the time. Uh, but yeah. I would say if I had to pick a classic one, for me personally, it'd be probably Brain Dead. Ooh, nice. Nice. We've not covered that. We might do that in future. That's, that's, yeah. I love that film. So oh, we might have to get you back for that one if, uh, yeah. if we do that. Uh, so, and nice if I had to pick question. a more modern one, it'd have to be Shaun of the Dead. Oh. Do you know who was it? What is, what there's another wager. It? There's a there's another wager that might have been uh, won or lost <laughs> if we'd have made it. Yeah, yeah. I did mention to Nick. I'm thinking, knowing 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 Ian, I worked with him for so long. Knowing Ian, I'm sure he's going to pick Shaun of the Dead. But you didn't. You went straight to Brain Dead. So I'll yeah. take that. So we'll chuck yeah. up Princess Bride and uh, Brain Dead on the cult list. So cool. yeah, me and Mike's both kind of won that one this week. So uh, we'll have to see how that goes. So, uh, yeah, it's time to board that tour bus and head on diet to Chinatown. Ready, guys? Ready. Oh, God, you missed it. You were supposed to say board ready. <laughs> I've already done it once. <laughs> I know, but come on, this is us. We, we specialize was born in ready. fitness. <laughs> okay. It's all in the reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, it was a 1986 American fantasy action comedy film originally written by first-time screenwriters Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Goldman had been inspired by a new wave of martial arts films that had, according to him, all sorts of weird actions and special effects, shot against the background of oriental mysticism and modern sensibilities. Think Sui Hark films. Now, the original premise had the movie set in the 1880s with Jack Burton as a cowboy who rides into town. However, the producers didn't feel the Western setting worked and asked for rewrites. Goldman rejected such a request by Fox, angered that when the studio wanted to update it to a contemporary setting. As a result, the studio removed the writers from the project, bringing veteran script doctor and screenwriter W.D. Richter. Executive producers Keith Barish and Paul Monash first offered the project to uh, John Carpenter in July 1985. He'd read the Goldman Weinstein script and deemed it outrageously unreadable, though it had many interesting elements. But he found Richter's treatment intriguing enough to sign on to the project. 
Carpenter made his own additions to Richter's rewrites, which included strengthening the Gracie Law role and linking her to Chinatown, removing a few action sequences due to budgetary restrictions and eliminating material deemed offensive to Chinese Americans. It was in discovered during the initial planning stages that a Chinese-based fantasy production was also underway at Paramount Universal, that movie being Eddie Murphy's The Golden Child. While the movies share no significant plot details, the similar themes gave cause for concern. As a result, Carpenter limited his prep time to 12 weeks so that Big Trouble could open in July, five months before Murphy's movie, with Carpenter on record stating, if Big Trouble were released at the same time as Golden Child, we would be killed at the box office because audiences love Eddie Murphy. Oh, how times change. Uh, Russell had allegedly never before been asked by so many members of the press what it was like to be in the biggest movie of the year than when he was promoting Big Trouble in Little China. After the test screenings went really well, Russell said he kept waiting to see ads and things that just didn't happen. Fox did little to promote the movie as they were too busy marketing aliens, which came out soon afterwards. As a result, the movie bombed at the box office. While the aforementioned Murphy vehicle made 79.8 million, Big Trouble made only a paltry 11.1 million, which to say the least is disappointing, with the studio considering it an out and out failure. It also left Carpenter disillusioned with Hollywood and was the impetus behind his decision to return to independent filmmaking. However, the movie hit its stride when released on home media, eventually finding a massive following. Not only is it now a more highly regarded movie than The Golden Child, but it, well, you know, this show's called Cult Classics for a reason. And uh, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China is currently available to stream on Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime and other services depending on where you are, as well as on uh, DVD and Blu-ray from wherever you savvy people get your physical media. So... I've got to ask you all, what was your first experience with this one? This is another of those I didn't see myself in the cinema. There was a kind of, I don't know if any of you guys remember it, there was a kind of teen magazine on the BBC back then. Uh, UK listeners of a certain age may remember it, especially when I say it's where Jenny Powell got started. It was uh, called No Limits. They'd occasionally show trailers for upcoming movies. I, uh, I remember seeing this one and thinking it looked good, so it was kind of on my radar when it finally appeared in video stores i remember hiring it and just i just loved it when the store finally cleared out and sold off its inventory i bought this one green cover with the cbx cbs fox banners and just watched it again and again until the tape eventually wore out so how about you guys and uh, yeah we'll start with you first ian when did you what were your first experience with this it was a it was definitely one of the rental ones because I'd, I'd not seen it in cinema. Um, <clears throat> and I think I'd actually seen, uh, was it The Fog? Did that come out, that come out before this, did it? Yeah, yeah. And, I was, and so the, the John Carpenter was kind of on my radar anyway because I like horror movies. Uh, and I just, I just saw this and I thought, well, I like Kurt Russell, good actor. You know, let's check it out. Let's see what that's like. Um, and it would, it was like, I don't know how to explain it. It was kind of like, I don't know um, <clears throat> if you had the same experience as me, but when we, when I first saw uh, From Dustal Dawn, it starts off as one thing and turns into another. Yeah. So it was kind of like that, in a way. You, you sort of, you know, it starts off as this sort of American guy, you know, visit his friend and then you get into like a bit of a hassle in the airport and stuff and it's like, and it, you know, and it's, you, you kind of think it's just going to be like a typical sort of buddy cop type movie. You know, like where they like teaming up with each other to rescue the girls. 
Yeah. And then it just took a bit of a crazy turn where it's got all this, you know, su uh, supernatural element to it, which which I just thought were amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it just it just take a sudden turn left. Oh, yeah. well, all right. Just, and, and straight away, as soon as that hits, you kind of like, okay. As soon as they go into the alleyway with the truck and they all start kicking up a fuss and then three storms appear, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so back then you know for me watching that sort of film so I, I loved you know I, I was into art and stuff anyway and it just sent my mind you know you just you couldn't believe how good it were yeah, yeah. kind of blew it did it yeah like you just start, can't believe how how it wasn't more popular at the time when it was on the cinema it's just mad yeah yeah but nice. yeah I loved it nice one uh what about you Nick when did you first see this like many I guess uh whether it was rental or not, I don't know. But yeah, absolutely loved it the first time I saw it. And then it was, it became a uh, a regular staple and something you could always throw on, um, you know, with a group of like-minded people and everybody would have a good time with it. Um, yeah, it's not something I uh, I go back to there very often, but I'm always glad when I do. So uh, yeah, I appreciate that it's a opportunity uh, for this podcast. Oh. At least. At least twice a year. At least twice a year, I'll watch it. Oh my word! If not three times. <laughs> what about you, Sandy? When was the first time you saw this? I remember when it came out, but I'll be perfectly honest. I was one of those golden child people. I know I mentioned it before. I um, loved SNL and anybody who was on it. I would watch their movies. Um, so it, in the background, it was more like something my parents watched. I know I, I did see it, but I wasn't that interested in it. So seeing it now, again, this has happened more than once with this podcast. Uh, seeing it, I, I knew there must be something to it. It is a cult classic. It's stuck around for so long. And I was just so pleasantly surprised with um, everything about this movie. I really, really liked it, watching it now and with my adult eyes. Cool. Well, we did have some... Actually, uh, I've yeah, just brought it back to me now. I, I did see Golden Child at the cinema, so uh, I, I carry that same shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's not a terrible movie, but it, it just... I don't I was, think it compares to this. It's movie. not Big Trouble in Little China, though. <laughs> I was never a fan, to be honest. I mean, I didn't mind so many Murphy movies, but I were never a it's fan. Just of it's just got the one okay. funny part. Yeah. I, I, I want it's... the knife, and then, then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we did have uh, we did have something lined up for this one something pretty special alas due to the utter bitch that's real life and the consequences of such we're no longer able to have that section in today's show not going to go into what exactly it was but i'm currently working on reschedule it so hopefully at some point we'll be able to get that to you uh believe me you'll know it when it appears and we'll link back to this so uh, so watch this space uh, it also goes without saying that because of this, we're also going to take a break from any other nonsense and get right down to the movie. So uh, before we get to the actual discussion, we'll take our customary look behind the scenes. And this is where kindly Mike, the editor, will just chuck in some appropriate music while he, uh, while he works on it. But uh, yeah, as I've mentioned, this one's been a long time coming. So I've tried to find some cool snippets that uh, you guys may or may not know. Having said that, as usual, I'm going to give a spoiler warning to those obsessively familiar with the movie. Uh, if you know everything about it, you may want to skip ahead a couple of minutes to avoid being bored by something you already know. Now, as mentioned earlier, 
The original script by Gary Goldman and uh, Weinstein called for it to be a western, sort of a combination of Shanghai Noon and Raiders of the Lost Ark, in which Jack Burton was a crack shot but unable to hit anyone in a fight, and featured Jack's horse being stolen instead of his truck. But Carpenter, along with W.D. Richter, director of it, director of, you know, let's be honest, the absolutely sublime Bakuru Bonsai across the eighth dimension, felt it would work better as a modern day movie and thus switched the western setting for contemporary Chinatown. Richter's influence on the script has somehow led to the myth that Big Trouble is a kind of unofficial sequel to Bakuru Banzai, or that the proposed sequel to Banzai was retooled to become what we now know as Big Trouble. Richter himself calls the idea nutty, as he states that he was only ever the director of Banzai and the two films were never related. <clears throat> despite my own personal headcanon having them take place in the same universe. However, Goldman, who had the initial idea, believes the irreverent tone of Big Trouble was too much like Richter's Banzai movie, causing Big Trouble to suffer the same fate at the box office. There's actually a really interesting deep dive on the putting together of this thing on uh, uprocks.com, including discussions on the development of the script and the firing of Goldman and Weinstein. So if, like me, you're a fan of both this movie and Banzai, then I really recommend it. I'll try and post a link in the description, uh, you know, in a kind of Starship Troopers, do you want to know more setup? So, yeah, hopefully Michael uh, managed manage that. Uh, now, Kurt Russell had recently been in a string of box office bombs and felt John Carpenter should choose a more prolific actor as he felt he would be the kiss of death for the movie. Carpenter responded to Russell that he just didn't care, he just wanted to make a movie with him. As for the real hero of the thing, Wang Chi, Carpenter wanted Jackie Chan for the role. But Fox execs, and remember what we say about execs, kids? They didn't like the idea. They were worried about his English-speaking abilities, and by the time the studio relented, Chan turned it down anyway. He'd recently had a couple of flops with The Protectors and Big Brawl, and made the decision to return to the Hong Kong film industry rather than continue in the US. This wouldn't be the last time that Carpenter butted heads with Fox either, especially studio head Lawrence Gordon, who allegedly interfered with the film right until its release. The prologue to the movie, where Egg Shen was being interviewed, uh, was filmed and added by Carpenter under the direction of Fox prior to release in order to give the character of Jack Burton more significance and appear as more of a hero, which Carpenter disagreed with, stating both Russell and Gunn were the heroes. The entire experience was so off-putting for Carpenter that it was the last time he worked with the studio directly. His next few films instead made independently and distributed by Universal Studios only. With, uh, with regards to Jack and the two hero scenario, Carpenter envisioned the film as an inverse of traditional scenarios in action films with a Caucasian protagonist helped by a minority sidekick. Jack Burton in this, aside from a couple of moments, is the sidekick, constantly portrayed as bumbling despite his bravado while Wang Chi, on the other hand, is highly skilled and competent. Kurt Russell actually came down with a bad case of the flu during production, so the sweat on him during the scene just after the brothel is caused by the fever he was suffering from and not, uh, not any effects. And speaking of suffering for their art, and uh, one for you out there, Rob, if you're listening, in the prison scene, Gracie is the only prisoner kept bound and gagged in her cell. This is explained by a deleted but unfilmed scene where she gives the guards some verbal abuse, resulting in her being gagged and hogtied. As there was no prior indication due to the scene being deleted, a surprise Kim Cattrall had no idea she would be spending the scene trussed up until the day of shooting. She endured it like a professional, occasionally having her gag removed so she could drink water. 
When asked by Carpenter whether or not she was uncomfortable, she simply cried, I've been in tighter situations than this. So, yeah. Uh, the lipstick coming off Kim Cattrall and onto Kurt Russell wasn't planned. Uh, it was improvised when they saw that the makeup used on the actress came off easily. Carpenter notes this is just another example of how certain actors won't let themselves look like a fool and why Russell was such a perfect choice for the Jack Burton role because he didn't mind it. Now, Exchange bus originally came from Yellowstone National Park where it gave tours of the Old Faithful geezer. And after the movie, it was returned, and apparently you can still get tours on it even today. And finally, for those interested, as is usual, the movie had slightly different titles depending on the territory. In Spain, it was called Coup in Little China. In France, it came under the title of The Adventures of Jack Burton. In Hispanic America, the title was Rescue in Chinatown. And in Mexico, it was labelled simply Massacre in Chinatown. Love to see the uh, the Guardian poster for that one. Though even in the English version, the Chinese characters in the opening credits do not translate literally into the title of the movie. They instead say, "Evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state." Yeah. So, was any of that news to you guys, or were you pretty much already aware of most of that? Some of the I read uh, most of those. Yeah, you pretty much covered everything I had to mention on this uh, thing uh, in that. So uh, I'm just going to concentrate on telling you how much I enjoyed the film for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to assume we've all watched this again recently. And, you know, I mean, I have to ask it as a matter of course, but you've pretty much all answered anyway. Uh, it's now going on for 40 years old. Do you think it holds wow. up? I mean, it obviously... It's still got a huge fan base, and at the risk of lighting a blue touch paper and sitting back, do you think it's do you think it's deserving of such praise after all this time? Definitely, I do. The only thing that the only thing that gets me a little bit is the uh, the the sort of monkey man monster thing, <laughs> whatever it is. Is it like a yeti? What is that? Yeah, that that puts me off a little bit, but little. yeah. But apart from that, everything else is spot on. I think. Well, I'm still, I'm still slightly really in pain from you telling me that the, uh, the film is 40 years old. Um, <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. But almost four years old, not quite. But, but yeah, I, I think it absolutely does. You have to accept a certain amount of, um, you know, cheese from the time um, in, in terms of, you know, production values and, and what was possible at the time. Mm. Uh, but, but if you can look beyond that, uh, which I... I don't know, having grown up with it almost, um, I don't know how a, a modern audience would look at it, but if you can get past that element and see it for what it is, uh, then, yeah, it's it's just a just a damn good time. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Sandy? I, I really did think it held up. The humour and the wit is kind of on another level to where the cheese is acceptable um, <laughs> because it is kind of poking fun of itself, but it's, it's yeah. just the humor is is still there it's really good i i do love the way you know i mean obviously it's, it's taking us into the writing straight off the bat with the with with what you're saying and I, I do think the absurd amount of exposition and the way it's delivered by the actors I, I, it, it's almost comical but it just works yeah yeah so absolutely right there's one particular line by kim cattrall uh 
I, I forget exactly what it but what do you mean you want to go into the most dangerous place in Chinatown and and oh, China, yeah. the most dangerous and it's just clearly said purely as exposition, but it, it does really work in the sort of context of of the film itself and, and what's going on. Yeah, I think there's there's another one later on where Margot's delivering some exposition and, and you know, Gracie, she kind of looks bored at it as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I like that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's obviously written as a a cool satire on the white saviour trope, you know, Jack jumping in despite knowing nothing. But I think it's also been kind of put together in a way that, you do get a certain type of person sometimes that come in, that comes into these movies and deliberately looks for flaws and picks holes and you know plot holes and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think they've done it in such a way it kind of undermines them because, like Jack Burton, for the most part, the audience they're as clueless as he is, and some of the exposition mm -hmm. and you get a lot of it. And, he, and after a while, you're just kind of thinking, I have no idea what any of this means, but I'm just going to switch off and just get stuck in. Yeah. I read, that, um, I read that the uh, conversation inside the cab of the truck when he's talking about the different gangs and Jack's asking questions, I read that they actually had to add that in later because um, they said, you know, the producers or whatever said that, um, it was just too confusing. They didn't know who anybody was. And John Carpenter had said that was very much intentional because you're seeing it from Jack's point of view. You know, it's supposed to be chaotic, but that yeah. truly the ones in white versus the ones in black, that was supposed to be the the division between the two. But I guess um, there was just a lot of things that, yeah. that they made them over explain or it, it's just uh what you were talking about the behind the scenes like clearly they didn't get the movie that john carpenter and uh kurt russell were trying to make yeah, yeah. absolutely i was going to say exactly the same thing but yeah it's um the studio had no idea what was being made but yeah, everybody on the film knew exactly what they were making but, but uh, going on back of that like yeah. intro to the film being like you being forced to shoot that scene i quite like that intro scene Mm. I quite like the the little teaser of like you know there's some magic going on but you don't quite know what's going to happen. And he does lend a little bit of atmosphere to it as you're going in, and yeah. I do like that that section of it. I can understand Carpenter's point of view, but I think it yeah. you know in the context and obviously I did it under duress, but I do think it kind of works. Yeah, and like bigging up Jack Burton a little bit, and that kind of like it's like obviously yeah. you know happening after everything else has happened. And it's like, you know, like you get these movies nowadays where it goes like, oh, 25 years later or, or 25 years earlier or whatever. You know, like showing you what's mm. happened just be, just after what's happened in the actual film itself. So Jack Burton's already been given like a mantle. Yeah. Who is this guy? Who is, who is this Jack Burton? He's obviously some some yeah. cool dude and he, and he ends up being right idiot in off at scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so it just works. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because it's like that he was trying to lift Jack Burton up just to kind of keep everything else subtle. Like he just really didn't want anybody to know what really went down in Chinatown. Yeah. 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 I mean, when it comes to uh, the characters, apparently uh, it reminded Carpenter of uh, the Howard Hawks type characters in Bringing Up Baby or His Girl Friday with 
kind of this rapid fire delivery, a dialogue, especially between, you know, Jack and Gracie. The, the dialogue's absolutely on point throughout the whole thing, you know, even the, the sort of chissiness of it, but uh, yeah, the back and forth, some of the, some of the speed of the, um, the, yeah, the, the exchanges, uh, very much like that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think it, yeah, the characters would have lived or died on what they were saying and what they were saying was exactly right for those characters. Yeah, I think it's, between... all, it's immensely quotable. Very. Yeah, very much so. I was just going to say also between Jack and Wayne, there was a lot of rapid fire dialogue, mm. but it was very natural, especially when he was like, yeah. you know, uh, you know, they're in this place and he's like, I can't ask you to, where is it? Thank you, Jack. You know, it was just very fast. You almost don't catch it, but just very natural yeah. between two people that have known each other for a while. Yeah. And I think that does come across in it. You, you, you do get the impression that they are long, you know, long standing friends. Yeah. There's real, real chemistry. Um, particularly between those two, but all the cast, I think, yeah. Probably because everybody was having so much fun making it. Yeah, you do get that impression that, it, you know, it was a great a, a, a great deal of fun for everybody that were working well. Obviously not Carpenter having to deal with the studio, but other than that. Yeah, studio aside, of course. Too. Yeah, I do like that, it, you know, obviously it takes that John Wayne type of hero and completely exposes it for what it is. But mm. not only does it work as that, but... It might not be something that you pick up on until, you know, as you were saying earlier, you watch it with adult eyes. But uh, earlier, you yeah. can watch it, and, and, you know, and many still do, and be completely engrossed in it as a kind of straightforward action comedy, even though they're kind of completely missing the point. But it works on both both of those levels, even even now. It does. It does. It does. I, I, I honestly can't remember if my first watching of it was... Yeah, I came away thinking um, that Jack Burton's a cool dude. What a hero, <laughs> or not? Um, but if I did, then it just just proves your point, really, that it works on those levels. It's like, and maybe later, I can't really remember. Um, I was much younger at the time, so who knows? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's because of the way it works. I think it's very much lightning in a bottle as far as this, the scripting works. Mm. Uh, I think they did a bang up job. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm entirely unsurprised to hear so many mentions from you of Bokoro Banzai. By the way, I was like, mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't aware of the connection uh, until I was sort of looking around a bit this time. But, uh, but yeah, then I saw that and I was like, yeah, that's going to get mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's as it, it's as much as certainly as Mike mentioning if he's got a 4K copy or something. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, it does have the, I mean, yeah, obviously it's kind of a, a satire, it's kind of a parody, but it never kind of disrespects the type of movies, in my opinion anyway, I mean, I could be completely no, wrong, absolutely. it never disrespects the type of movies, and in, in, to some extent this was my kind of, I suppose you could say, gateway drug into, you know, Hong Kong cinema kind of thing, obviously it's not Hong Kong cinema, but you know, you watch this, and I—I I, I don't know about you, but I wanted to see more at that age. Yeah, it wasn't—it um, wasn't my gateway into it. Although I wasn't sort of into that sort of thing at the time I saw this. If you see what I mean. Um, but it is very—it is very true to the sort of style of those Hong Kong films. It's you know some of the action, uh, 
you know, is not quite on the level of the best stuff uh, from Hong Kong and China. Yeah. Uh, but the actual sort of presentation of it, the production values and sort of the, um, you know, the um, representations of the culture uh, and so on, but not so much that, but the actual um, things that happen in the film are kind of true to that, um, that sort of genre at the time, certainly um, some, some kind of, some sort of sub genres of the Hong Kong genre, if you see what I mean. So, yeah. Twisted up a bit there, but um, but uh, in and in that respect, it was um, really really ahead of its time. Uh, certainly in '86, um, but to do it so uh, so sort of true to the, the spirit of those things at that time was just incredible. Um, you wouldn't see that at all because uh, uh, you know it's the sort of um, stereotyping that would happen. Um, I mean, there was, there was, as I recall, some uh, some sort of protest from the Asian community uh, about the sort of stereotypes in it. But um, but they talked they talked to the actors, and all the actors are genuine, sort of yeah, um, American Chinese and some of them yeah, um, native Chinese, uh, and they seem to be all fine with it. So I think that was all they uh, all they really needed. Well, I think it's been borne out over time. Yeah. I mean, we really didn't see anything like this again uh, that I know of until like Kung Fu Hustle in 04 and uh, mm-hmm. like Journey to the West that came out in 2013. It really just was very, like you said, very ahead of its time and, and mixing yeah. these genres. That's really weird. Me and Nick and myself were only talking about a Journey to the West a couple of days ago. <laughs> it's true, absolutely. Yeah. I was just wondering if, if John Carpenter never had any like sort of bad bad blood with this film after the after the fact. I wonder if he would have done a sequel. Hmm. That's what well, I mean well, we're, skip, we're skipping ahead. Say, yeah, as yeah. I say, it's probably some detail you've got on mm. potential sequels. Yeah. There have been rumblings, haven't they? Should we leave but, that for the uh, really? first section it's oh. meant for? <laughs> yeah, well I'll I'll go on it now. I mean, you know, because it kind of <laughs> yeah. fits in this. I mean the rock says he, oh, yeah. he really wants to do this and he wants Carpenter to do it. <laughs> but Carpenter's just said he's just completely ambivalent about the idea. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you know, they need Kurt Russell, not The Rock. Yeah. I mean, He could do it. He could do it. You know, look at actors like Harrison Ford, you know, like he, he did Indiana Jones. He could easily do another sequel. Oh, definitely. But, and there's plenty of material. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys have read the, like, the comic books. Series. I never have. I've never had my hands on them. They're just they're, they're like it's like trying to find a unicorn these days, mate. I, I mean, you think they're, they're not bad. Uh, they're, they're certainly better than you know a lot of the films that's coming out these days. Yeah. It would be uh, be interesting, but the, <clears throat> uh, the as you mentioned, the the like yeti type creature becomes kind of Burton's sidekick. What? Yeah, <laughs> but it works. It does actually okay. work. Are you sure? Absolutely. No, seriously. seriously. <laughs> Any look it look it up after this, and if anybody out there is interested, look it up. I mean, you know, it, as as much as you can, because the books now are going for quite a substantial amount. But, uh, digital copies. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's plenty of material, but I, I just can't see somebody like The Rock doing it. I mean, this is you know. I'm going to have a slightly dissenting opinion here because um, I mean I have heard a bit about it over time. It's been rumbling around for years, decades probably. Um, and it's sort of been various points, you know, a remake 
uh, or or a sort of spiritual sequel or or an actual sequel. Um, I'm going to reveal my fandom a little bit here, but I, I I'm not going to say he's perfect and everything he's done is great. Let's let's leave it there. But I think The Rock can do some really good uh, comic stuff. He can definitely play the um, the um, <clears throat> the sort of uh, the doofus kind of thing, the uh, the absolute buffoon. He doesn't know yeah. he's buffoon. <clears throat> I mean, Jumanji um, would it would be. You know, yeah, it would it would be it would be interesting. I wouldn't write it off, but it would well, never what are be. You, are they talking the like a complete? Yeah. They, are they only about an actual sequel, or would they just be doing like a continuation? No, a reboot. Nah, see, I'm not just down for that. Anything. The Rock and but... Jason Statham. Nah, forget it. No. Oh, <laughs> Definitely not happening. John <laughs> 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 Carpenter will be like two fingers up at that. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, it was a continuation in some way or another, but not like when the Ghostbusters one because that would have shocked you. But um, you know, because nowadays they just like to introduce kids into films and then let's bring the old cast in here and like why? Yeah, you know, I don't want to. Do, I don't want that. I'd, I want a proper sequel. <laughs> they could yeah. do it; it would be possible, but you know, highly unlikely well, they, that it's going to happen. They, but yeah, I could definitely see Kurt Russell being up for it, but I don't think financially anybody would want to really take a chance on it. Oh God! I mean, yeah, but the fan base is already there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But you know what it's like these days. I mean, if it's not a, you know, if if they don't think it's a billion dollar idea, studios aren't going to touch it with a barge pole. No, very good schedules at the moment. Yeah, but yeah, I I think in the right hands, somebody could make it their own and and do a decent job. But I think we've seen enough sort of um, decent. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're probably. In the minority, but you know, remakes and sequels years on. Some some of them, you know, are handled very well. I'd like to think this one would be, and the you know, the original always exists, so you know, it's always there. It doesn't diminish it in any way, but it would be interesting. But yeah, I, I don't think I can see anybody going. Yeah, that'll make us a load of money, so we'll make it. Yeah, unlikely. And I think it def. I think you definitely have to get. You know, obviously. You definitely have to have Carpenter involved along with Richter. You don't, I don't think you could pull it off without that kind of irreverent tone that those guys brought to it. Yeah. And, you know, knowing studios as they are with the current Tron sequel, they probably just hired Jared Leto for something. Oh, God. Uh. Uh, I did like a lot of the touches, like how they kept referring to the, uh, the, the Chinese hells. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, hell of the upside down sinners and and stuff like that. And hell of boiling water or boiling yeah. oil. Yeah, Egg Shen knows about these things, and he said there was earthquakes thousands of years ago that turned the world upside down. And <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I love how yeah. I love how he's tied into that. Oh, you know, Chinese have got a lot of hells, and then the old guy goes, "And what the hell is Gracie Law doing?" Here? <laughs> <laughs> I think he just and he is that kind of rapid fire delivery. As it goes on, and I, I just think as a script, it just it just sparkles, and I think it it takes some decent acting to pull it off. Uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely have to put that uh, that up, up, up rocks article uh, in the in the links so you can see the development of the script because it's uh, it really is interesting if if any of you guys guys want to find out about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, that's that's the notes I've got from my. I mean, do you guys have any, have any notes on the writing of this thing? What about you, Sandy? 
just that I, I really did like the the subtle humor and, and just, I mean, really almost every line out of Jack's mouth is something quite funny. Uh, but also the pacing of the scenes, one leading into another, was really, really well, really good. There were no boring parts. No. And it, it, it just moves along at such a brisk pace. By the time you realize where you are, the film's coming to an end, and you, and you could think, geez, I could watch another, you know, 30 minutes of that. It, it doesn't feel like such a long movie to me. The 90 minutes, just, just uh, well, 80 some, it just flies by. Nothing superfluous at all. No, no. And as you say, every single it's line. Minutes, isn't it? So... Pardon? It's, uh, it's an hour and 40, isn't it? It's oh, I thought, I'm sure it said 88 on the one hour watch. Oh. I have a, yeah, an hour 40. Oh, my mistake. But yeah, it just no watched an awful TV edit recently. Have yeah, you? <laughs> I've missed I've missed like several vital scenes I've been doing for the last forty <laughs> years. <laughs> but yeah, as Sandy was saying, every kind of line that Jack utters, oh, it's imbued yeah. with this kind of humor, and you know some of them are just they crack me up all these years later. Like where Grace is saying, you know, I I go myself, but and Jack says. Yeah, I know, but there's a problem with your face. He yeah. looks so crestfallen when he says that. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> it is, and um, I, I feel like every one of those lines could be delivered by a a straight sort of a head action hero in a film of the time and work as well. But it's it's delivered just with the perfect uh, sort of tone to all of it. Uh, yeah, that, that little wink, uh, and I think there's perfect sort of melding of the writing and and the, the sort of the acting uh, <laughs> to really understand you know what was on the page was uh, yeah how to present it. It was just uh, yeah absolutely spot on by all of them, but particularly Kurt Russell, just not afraid to look before just just brilliant. yeah. Well, like the bit in the airport where he's uh, where they first going to meet his his girlfriend and then. He's like he sees Gracie Law and he's like, ooh, not checking her out. Yeah. And then he stands here as if he turns around to, to his friend to give him a little wink, and then he turns back around that when she's gone and an old woman's here. Yeah. <laughs> his face has just dropped. <laughs> yeah. Little comedy moments like that just make it cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get on to that now. We'll get on to with the acting. Unless anybody else has got any any more notes with regards to the writing. No, it was uh, pretty much uh, covered everything I had, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, uh, Ian, anything? Uh, no, just what I was saying about John Carpenter, wishing it, you know, sort of maybe, you know, even, even if it wasn't like a direct sequel, they could have continued the sort of story somehow. I mean, like, you're really saying, Jones in for more of this. I, know, I am, I am, because I've not, <laughs> not even like it for me personally. I've not seen another film that that no. does it the way this does it, you know what I mean? I've not, I've not seen another film that that, that gives you the same. You know, <laughs> well, pleasure receptors. Yeah. As you're watching this film, and you go, oh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's this, yeah. and it's this, and it's this, and then you got other films are just this and this done. You know, it's like this just had so many things going for it. Well, it's interesting yeah. what Sandy was saying with regards to you know the they might be poking fun at Chinese culture. When you look at the Golden Child, which did come out at the same time, that seems to be predicated exclusively on making fun for the most part of Chinese. Mm. 
culture and Eddie Murphy's disbelief. But this, to me, seems very much rooted in a love of the culture, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I never yeah. got anything like it with making fun or anything. To be honest, any anything that they mentioned were kind of like the more serious side of the film. Like Egg Shame was not making fun of it. It was like being serious. Yeah. Whereas Jack was like yeah. kind of thinking, eh, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? He, he was the one... If, if yeah, we were going to poke fun at anything, it was going to be him doing it. Yeah. But when he saw things, that he started to believe. You know what I mean? He's like, what? What? It... What'll come out no more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 He <laughs> thought they were flying on wires at first. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, all the, all the, um, yeah, all, all the sort of serious elements of the films, or you know, not serious, but, you know, sort of more respectful elements are about the, the sort of Chinese side of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's all the yeah, all the all the fun poking is definitely at the Americans. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I, I, sorry. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> sort of the American sort of trope, I guess. Um, the idea that like you know, in all these films, the um, yeah, the American hero is uh, like the 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 savior and everything, and uh, thinks exactly, thinks yeah. they're the center of the story. But this yeah. is, this is the same story told from the other side. It's like no, he's just a, practically a bystander. Yeah. <laughs> And which yeah. is weird, like the the French. What well, earlier you spoke about the French title is the Adventures of Jack Burton. Yeah, no, <laughs> they didn't no. get it either. Clearly, yeah. yeah, marketing really dropped the ball on that one, yeah. didn't they? <laughs> yeah, literally, it's not the Adventures of Jack Burton. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any more notes on uh, on the writing, Sandy? No, on to the acting. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as as Nick was, you know, bringing it up, just straight onto Kurt Russell. I don't think you can fault him in this. I think this is Kurt Russell's best movie, in my in my opinion. I know I know everybody says Escape from New York's his best or The Things his best, but I just think this shows his acting chops more than anything. Plus, you know, he is not afraid to take the mick out of himself. It's certainly it's certainly my favourite Kurt Russell movie, and it is a very high bar over a very long amount of time. Uh, but this is, uh, if, 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 you, if anyone said to me, what's your favorite Kurt Russell movie? It's, it's this, uh, definitely. There's, there's a lot to recommend others. It's not the computer war tennis shoes. <laughs> it's not funny enough. And I have <laughs> still to this day not seen that. It's actually not a bad movie, but you know, we're getting into Disney territory. So yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. Well, well, he was Disney trained Kurt Russell, wasn't he? He was. Apparently, Disney's last words before he died, he wrote the name Kurt Russell on a pad and then passed away. Really? Yeah. It's it's one of those urban legend type things. I mean, look yeah. it up. It could be erroneous, but yeah, apparently he wrote his name on a pad by the side of his bed and then passed away. Who, and who no one on this day knows why. Who was that, sorry? When did Disney pass him? I can't remember. Oh, was it before Kurt Russell was a, a thing? <laughs> he, well, he was. Yeah, I mean, he, he was big in the Disney movies, wasn't he? He wasn't just trained by Disney, but he was a you know. A, oh yeah, a front and center star. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, he was, and until he sort of um, came of age, um, and then didn't, didn't he sort of move into more sort of stunt work? Yeah. Disney died in 66, yeah. so it's entirely possible. Uh, 
Yeah, he would have. Yeah, he would have known who he was because uh, he was born in what fifty something around nineteen fifty, Russell. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he'd have been in stuff because he'd have been uh, he was in as a child. So um, yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I, I might have to go and look that up. Um, I'm, it feels more true than the um, frozen head thing, certainly. Yeah, let's let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, you you were saying yeah. if anybody asked it's you, perfect. this would this would be the 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 go to cult Russell movie for you. Yeah, absolutely. Just just the the go to Kurt Russell movie full stop. Yeah. Uh, even even with his serious work, uh, it would be this. Yeah. What about um, you? Yeah, I'm going to come sorry. to you next. Ian, <laughs> go on. <Sorry. laughs> yeah, I'll just it, it's one of those. It's like a masterclass in just the way you know we're able to blend the humour and action, and like the overall charisma of Jack Burton, but also the the silly side as well, and it not be too silly you know like it's not slapstick comedy mm. but it was like a little bit of that but not too much because i think if it had gone way slapstick it would have been stupid but it was it was like a bit stupid like where he shot the gun in the air and knocked inside out for a little bit and then you know, mm. them kind of things were cool it weren't it weren't you know obviously comedy it was just funny enough to go jesus christ what are you doing <laughs> I read that in the DVD commentary that that scene could not even be referenced without Kurt Russell just losing it, just ta even talking oh, about the, that scene. The right. DVD commentary uh, <laughs> where he got knocked out, yeah, where he knocked himself out. Highly recommended. Um, right. It's I, I used to listen to commentaries a bit back in the day when they were more of a thing, like yeah, uh, early two thousands and DVDs were coming out, and this is one of the ones I listened to. I've actually so listened to it again. Who's, who's on the commentary on that? Is that Kurt Russell and, and uh, it's, John Carpenter? It's Kurt Russell and John Carpenter with a few beers watching the film Perfect. and talking like old friends, which is what they are. Is that the one that we were on about the other night where they, they're gradually getting a little tipsy towards the end? You don't really get that, but there is a section of about <laughs> five to ten minutes where they're just talking about the families and the kids. <laughs> um, and like the kids' hockey games and stuff, um, before you know, one of them, I think it's John Carpenter, says, Yeah, and this is all very interesting to uh, the, the viewers of this film, of course. So, if you better get back to uh, the film, it's literally like that, and yeah, and it is just, yeah, just if you if you listen to one DVD commentary, and it's probably on YouTube and stuff, um, mm. you don't even need the film, but it's great to have it side by side or together, but yeah, definitely worth a listen. Um, I just can watch the film in my head. I've watched it that many times. Yeah, we yeah, have well, twice a year. You probably can. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes three. <laughs> what about you, Sandy? With regards to Russell. With regards to Russell, uh, what you mentioned earlier, just taking the script off the page, and I really don't know how much of it was the direction, but I'd like to think a lot of it was Kurt Russell. Just um, you know how he how he delivered the dialogue. It was just really funny like uh, when they were down in that basement room when they first escaped uh through the window and uh wang's trying to explain what's going on and kurt russell's just like well great who wiped out all the yellow turbans up there huh <laughs> just the way he delivered that was so great and many lines like that i really thought um his acting was good too and genuine and i know this uh a little bit more into um david but he um 
their in, their interchanges between each other, just very natural. And I don't know how much of an actor he was before the actor that played Wang, but um, it, everything just was very natural. I was surprised by that. Yeah, Dennis Dunn's really good in this. I, it, he seems to not have a great deal on his filmography uh, after this, which is a shame. I mean, he's got some good stuff. He's got, you know, Last Emperor of China. He also worked with Carpenter again a year later with uh, Prince of Darkness. Very different role. Uh, but, yeah, they're, uh, they're really good. I mean, as you were saying, the one in the basement, I like the one later on as well where they're escaping from Wing Kong. And, you know, he's giving the, the, the spiel to Wang and Wang's translating it for everybody that they've rescued. And then Kurt Russell opens the door and there's just these, all of these guys there and he slams it and he says, we may be trapped. Just the way he delivers some of the lines. It, <laughs> you you kind of laugh at, at him, but you never feel that, well, for me anyway, you never feel he's so big an asshole that he's unlikable. Oh, no, he's absolutely adorable. Um, <laughs> to use the only word I can think of in the moment. Uh, yeah, he's absolutely... Uh, that That's part of it. He's like the uh, the charming buffoon. Uh, and, yeah, just the best, the biggest heart in the world. Uh, but he's just not very good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't know it, uh, so that's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the part where he, he might have got a, a little bit of suspicion when he tries to pull his knife out of his boot. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, does have yeah, good reflexes, good. though. He does have good oh, yeah. reflexes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, on to, uh, on to Dennis Dunn as, uh, as Wang Chi. And, I've, you know, I've already given my input with regards to him. But what about you guys? The yeah, same, just I really think. impressed with how natural he, natural he came off. Um, usually when it's an action, someone who's there for their action, they're not really great actors. And, and in this case, I was just impressed with his performance. Yeah. Ian? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, quite impressive with his martial arts skills that just kick in. You just go, okay, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Literally, what you think, you know, you see it for the first time, and you kind of, you kind of having the same reaction that Jack does to his skills, his gymnastics combo. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> just that sort of like serious, you know, serious role. But then you've got like this comedic friend, Jack Burton, who's like, you know, it's, it's like it's it was just a good combination, and you know, he is his sort of goal throughout the film was was always the same you know he just wanted to go and rescue his girlfriend yeah yeah he was um yeah that's absolutely great perfect I, I think i'll probably say that about every every sort of actor for the role uh but yeah did it really well he's um i think he think he did a fair amount of acting before but it, it he's never sort of been in these sorts of things he did a lot of work as i understand it to uh to actually be able to perform the uh, yeah the stunts and so on, did a lot of it. Um, but it, just, like, it wasn't really his sort of thing working, but it was something he was really sort of steeped in. It's something he's a fan of, so he brought that to it. I think that sort of that believability of understanding exactly how to sort of play that role and and mesh that with the sort of the thing they were going for with him being the not the sidekick but the hero, but the hero was a sidekick kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think it worked really well. Um, 
yeah, love, love to see them get double billing, really, but uh, it's it's sort of not the thing because Kurt Russell's the name, but uh, but yeah, just, just great for the part, really. Nice one, and uh, yeah, Kim Cattrall, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Cattrall, she, she her acting was probably the oddest of all of them and only maybe because we'd never seen her in a role like this she was always kind of uh um i don't want to say bimbo because that's a bit demeaning to the roles that women only had available to them in the comedy in the 80s but um you know that was kind of her role then and to see her play this and and she's almost like um uh, you know her first real line of dialogue um after the airport scene is just very snappy kind of like a um, uh, newspaper columnist kind of uh, you know i gave myself an uh, you know me i'm always poking my nose where it doesn't belong and that kind of thing it was just yeah, weird yeah. to me but um it may have been what was meant for the movie it just I don't know, it just felt odd how she delivered it. Now, later on, when it's more action and she's reacting to um, everything that's happening around her, I thought that part was much better. I do like the uh, I do like the way she delivered a lot of the exposition in this. It, 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 she is straight, but it, it does come across as comical just for the sheer amount that she's dumping on the audience. <laughs> yeah, some of the little uh, looks she gives Jack Burton when he's trying to be... Sexy. The chemistry with Kurt Russell was great as well, but yeah, yeah. it's. I mean, it's. It's. Um. I mean, if we're honest, then it's not a film filled with filled with strong women roles. Um, well, there was oh, those. <laughs> there was those ladies that kicked butt there yeah. in the yeah. beginning. There was a uh, also the the. I think obviously there's, there's obviously more to her character like there always is uh, that you never yeah. really see on screen because the, mm -hmm. she had a lot of knowledge about what were going on and uh, especially about David Lopan and you know uh, yeah. so her resourcefulness like she was quite good at you know yeah. knowing things you were like she's like the girl in the chair you know like you get these spies that have got the person yeah. in the chair that knows everything kind of like that but you know right there on screen yeah that poor girl yeah. Susie, I forget her last name, the actress, but um the Susie. one that was playing Mal Yin, she um she was the one that got the worst well. She was just like yeah. jerked around, yeah. pushed, she never got to fight for herself at all. Um no. she was she was I the one kind of sidelined. You see you see a flinch towards the end of the movie when he's trying to drive the needle in her wrist because he actually yeah. ended up driving the needle in her wrist. What? Yeah, yeah, and uh, she she flinched a little, but she she recovered remarkably. Mm. Did she actually get to speak at all? I can't remember. Uh, very few lines, like yeah. "I don't belong to you," and and you know just oh, ah yeah, yeah, like you know damsel in distress in uh, in distress kind of things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, not a um, not a great role on the page. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, but yeah, she did it very well. But yeah, it's, um, we've moved off Kim Cattrall obviously now. But yeah, there wasn't wasn't much to that part, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so if you want to get back on Kim Cattrall now, love to. <laughs> <Did> you, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got no problem. Um, I, I have an obvious um, nerd bias for Kim Cattrall with <laughs> uh, Star Trek. Yeah. Um, uh, not so much 
Sex and the City. Never really watched it, I must admit. But um, yeah, I, I I think she does. Uh, I think she does a great job. It's it's she does a lot with what could have been just just a straight exposition role to actually, like you say, sort of make it give it with that that just exactly exactly right sort of cheesy piss take tone. Uh, and some of the reactions later on, as you said, Sandy, yeah, it's, uh, she does come into her own later on, very much so, uh, with it sort of more of the actual acting. Uh, so, yeah, I think she does absolutely fine in it. Yeah. Well, but, you couldn't imagine anybody else doing it. And it's mightier than your sword. <laughs> <laughs> I read that she left set every day at 4.30 to go um, act on stage. Um, that was a yeah. big production at the time, and I... I forget the name of it, but that yeah. she, for her, um, acting in movies was uh, what what she lived on, so that she could do her true love, which was acting on stage. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that. So not yeah, I've, I'll I'll be honest, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Kim Cattrall, but I really like her in this. I do remember her first film, what they were saying she did right before this and why I referenced, you know, that it was such a different role for her because before she was in Porky's, which was like the 80s version of American Pie. It was a raunchy sex comedy. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> There's a man of a certain age. Yeah. <laughs> I remember her from the first Police Academy where she was Steve Guttenberg's love interest. So yeah, you know. uh, yeah, she sort of popped up in um, '80s things, didn't she? Yeah. Um, that was, of course, that was before. Um, uh, I can't even. I don't Mannequin. Even know it was now actually. Mannequin. Yeah. Oh, that's that's yeah. so '80s. You don't get any more '80s than Mannequin. <laughs> right. So next, we'll go to uh, Victor Wong as Egg Shen. Uh well, classic. Um, Egg Shen. He was yeah. great. Yeah. He's absolutely superb. Yeah. He's just got that right level of uh, piss take and irascibility. Um, yeah. Perfect Gandalf role, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect way of describing it. And he too, his acting was very natural. I do like that it appears everybody used their natural accents throughout the movie. Um, so just because mm. he had the stereotypical ancient Chinese secrets, you know, he wasn't speaking with an accent or anything like that. He was a Chinese American. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lovable character, I think, in this. And, you know, yeah. as, as roles go, I think it suited him to a T because everything yeah. I've seen of him, you know, outside of, of the movie, he seemed mm -hmm. a genuinely nice, nice guy. And, yeah. I, I like that, and I think it's one of these roles that he's going to be most fondly remembered for. Yeah. yeah and speaking of Ghostbusters, Egg Shen's um, office, I'm sure you read this also, DK, yeah. that it was Station 23 where Ghostbusters was filmed. Oh, yeah. Right. It was also oh. used in uh, Flatliners, Police Academy 2, and The Mask. <laughs> Somebody's oh, wow. been doing the research. <laughs> <laughs> It's right. also, was he, he was also in Prince of Darkness as well, weren't he? He was. He's in Prince of oh. Darkness. Weirdly enough, he was also in Golden Child at the same time. But, uh, okay. but um, yeah, again, a very a kind of a different role in, in Prince of Darkness. But, uh, yeah, I think you were very good in this. Which brings us to, you know, the legend, 
that is James Hong as Lopan. Oh. <laughs> Lopan yeah. as an old Lopan was my favorite Lopan. It was so yeah. funny. Yeah, he, um, I think as much as Kurt Russell got Jack Burton, he got Lopan. Definitely. Just, just injected it. Every kind of, every version of Lopan with just the right amount of whatever he was doing. So that was very badly described, but yeah, he, he really got it. Uh, it makes you just really buy into what is quite a ridiculous character if you think about it. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. He's incredibly old and he turns into a younger guy who has light coming out of it. Yeah, it's just, um, but yeah, it, it couldn't, couldn't have been played better in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I mean, God, he's, he's what? He's 94, I think now. Oh, and wow. he's still going strong. He's just wow. been given his Hollywood yeah. star. And I oh, brilliant. He just so deserves it. I mean, I just think he's an amazing actor. And is he still is he still dressing up as Low Pan in some event in convert? He is when he when he goes to cons, he will still dress as Low Pan yeah. for uh, for, for him. Yeah, he's he still that he still likes that character. You know what I mean? I thought obviously a fun role for himself. Yeah, yeah, but I think like like with uh, Victor Wong's action, I think it's one of the roles he's going to be, you know, kind of most fondly mm. thought of. Yeah, mm. he's. I mean, he's been. He's been working since the fifties, I think, as an yeah. actor. So, wow. I mean, that's just yeah, hats off. And again, he like Kurt Russell, he, he can switch very well between drama and comedy, and yeah. I think that's why he's such a great foil for Burton in this. Yeah, absolutely. There's all, almost like a kind of you know, as well as the old man and the you know, ten foot tall roadblock. There's this <laughs> kind of dichotomy where. Whenever Wang's involved, he's straight-laced and serious, but whenever Burton's involved, he seems to take that comedic edge. He kind of plays yeah. off, off both characters, as it were. And I, I, I just think he's a great villain. He's, he's just sufficiently a... scary, yes. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you've got like, the two versions of him as well. Like, even the old guy was pretty freaky. <laughs> you know, just the way he's like, you know, the really like menacing, and he's got like that's where you know it's it's a bit comedic as well when he's the old guy when they're mm. talking to him and he's like, you know, Jack says something, and he, and he um, just giggles and yeah, stuff, giggles yeah. at him. Yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just like the way he's you know, him. Jack running him up the wrong way. So, are you crazy? Is that your problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, next one, we'll go to, uh, you know, Carter Wong, Peter Kwong, and James Pax as the Storms. I mean, you know, obviously, they're, they're kind of standouts in this. Yeah. You guys have any thoughts on these guys? I, I loved their intro, um, the very first scenes that we see them come down in. Um, each one of them is often awesome. And then, of course, Raiden wins. <laughs> they said that Lightning oh, yeah. was... Uh, um <clears throat> inspiration for Raiden. Yeah. And then later on, um I like them. They did what they were supposed to do. I mean, they didn't really have um much acting to do other than to like look badass and be badass. And they definitely delivered in that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean I, I, you've got to be impressed with just Peter Kwong's hair as well. Beautiful. I mean, yeah, he loved yeah. it. Apparently he loved that. The wig was something like 
three thousand dollars worth and he had to get at 5 a.m to have it attached but he says he just he loved it and you can see in some of the shots where he turns his head and he flicks his hair yeah (laughs) that guy that guy's thinking he's farrah fawcett it's 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 because he's worth it (laughs) so the um the the lightning i believe um was all hand-drawn really it was pretty good it lined up really well mm. yeah it was all it was all cell like frame animated if i remember uh, right yes. the obviously lighting from the scene and then the old the hand draw the lightning on yeah and did you see obviously. the uh, the chinese character at the end when he when he bought it oh yeah I, yeah yeah, that, yeah, that in the symbol comes up or something, is it? Is yeah, it, that yeah, was the, the Chinese character for Carpenter. Yes, yes. It's like you have to freeze frame it, but you can see that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that I, I love the introduction and I love the fact that, you know, Jack Burton's first port of call in, in this is to just go up to one and start trying to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. It is his Yeah. One. Like he's going to make a dent, and he's just like, okay. <laughs> Does it walks off as if like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then they pull out the weaponry, and it's, quite frankly, it's a little absurd, but uh, by that point, yeah. you're rolling with it so much that you just... Not, um, it. Yeah, again, you it's just not... Leave it, and then you get some back scratches yeah. that he has on his hands as well that were quite funny. The little, like little back scratches. Yeah. Yeah. And then lightning comes up with those whirring blades. Yeah. What's that going to do? Yeah. They're very true to sort of things you'd see in Hong Kong films as well. So uh, I'm glad they did yeah. that. But, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I think we've got to ask the question which is your favourite storm? Oh, definitely <laughs> lightning for me, personally. <laughs> I like thunder. Yeah. I'm gonna say thunder too. Although um, I like yeah. Rain's very first introduction, his his yelling out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd have to I'd have to go with Thunder, I think, myself to cut a one. Yeah. And he and he and he, and he, and he, and he does cut a quite a nice a nice figure in a tailored suit. Oh that that, that dude is built he's built right. <laughs> it's uh yeah. yeah. Uh, is an impressive figure of a man. I don't mind admitting, um, but yeah, he's done a lot of he's done a lot of work. I think he's done some Hong Kong work as well. Uh, one because a lot of yeah, some some they're, they're mostly I think um, sort of uh, American Chinese actors rather than uh, you know sort of Hong Kong ones. But um, uh, I think he he has done some work in the past. Oh, he's, yeah, he's got quite an extensive uh, Hong Kong. Uh... Yeah. Unless here, yeah. So it's, I just wonder about the story itself. Like, so you just you never really get to find out much about them, obviously. But and you do, you know you, mm. what what their loyalty to Lo Pan so much. You know, it's like a bit. Yeah. It's a bit of a question. I, I do like that they're, they're obviously written as straight henchmen on the page. The fact mm. that there's not much call for them uh, for acting ability, but they each imbue. Yeah the characters yeah. with you know a personality so it, it comes out while you're watching it and for you know what is essentially just three henchmen you there are times where you you i wouldn't say exactly root for them but you do kind of see them as mm-hmm. these characters that you kind of think yeah go on sir 
In fact, yeah, like, all the henchmen kind of had their little moments like that. All the background guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're all kind of distinct in their own way, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then, I mean, obviously, you notice people like Al Leon, who was like a henchman in, I think, every single movie yes. in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. He was the, the snack bar raiding guy in Die Hard. And uh, <laughs> Gerald Okamura as the, uh, the, the six gun shooter. Yes. Yeah. Who was yeah, Chinese really, um... Elvis? Chinese Elvis. Yeah, he was like one of the first ones that came on. He had the sideburns. Uh oh yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean now. I can't place the name. Forgive me if you're out there, but oh. yeah. But they were all really great. Yeah. Yeah, they all yeah. they all made an impact, I think. That, that's yeah. The fact that they're they only have a limited acting, screen yeah. time, yeah, yeah, and you still they're still memorable. I don't yeah. think there's there's not a dodgy. I don't think there's a dodgy member of cast. I mean, you know, even going down to like to Marco and Eddie, they all they all play their roles really well. And again, yeah. Marco, yeah. you get that. You, you, I mean, she doesn't deliver it as well as Kim Cattrall, but you do get, you know, the bit of exposition from Marco. Where you know it's not necessary. Do we have to go in there? Because you know, if I have to go in there, I will. Because this is my big, big break. All that kind of stuff. It's, it's. Yeah, it's, I think it's, um, it's pretty much going against type and saying tell, don't show in this, but it works. Yeah, I don't know about yeah going sort of as I say down to the cast of uh, Margot and um, and Betty Lee. Yeah, they're sort of they're. they're kind of superfluous because they don't do a lot plot wise uh you know they're sort of just there those characters uh, it feels like but um, but they do imbue it with sort of character and you you kind of root for them and understand them and uh, i wondered if they were sort of they put in that in as an actual sort of romantic sort of option for the film seeing as you know in the end uh jack and gracie kind of just you know I mean, it's it's done on a nice note, but uh, they sort of go in a separate way, so you don't get the payoff for their sort of romance beyond, you know, what happened in the heat of the moment. Uh, but they do have this couple that do so, so they're a little bit of a sop for those who wanted a bit of a romantic story in it as well. Yeah, as you've got like a little surrogate there. Yeah. And obviously, you know, he didn't plan to film that prologue, but even getting somebody like Jerry Harding, who's such a, a good character actor, just to play, you know, the insurance dude. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? But I just like I like the intro. I think it's pretty cool, just how it's <laughs> how it was shot. I just thought it works, even though John Carpenter disagrees. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think it takes away from the film at all. <clears throat> um, so I, I. I wouldn't be. I'm not so familiar with it now, so I'll probably be. I'd miss it if it wasn't there, but um, but it is nice to have, like you say, um, not just Egg Chen uh, doing his thing, but uh, but yeah, the guy behind the desk being told the story, which I guess, you know, it's kind of what he's doing, audience, it? yeah, audience surrogate in some ways, but you know, it's sort of never referred to again. It's just like this; it's not really a framing device because it's only got one end of the frame. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of notes. Good or bad, <laughs> it's sort of yeah. the moment's gone. So yeah, but yeah. but if he's got yeah, 
why not? Because it's kind of like it's set up for that, where it's yeah. like him telling him the story of kind of what happened, or you know, you could kind of take it like that. Yeah. So maybe Jen's yeah. even giving him more more credibility than you actually see. So maybe the true story wasn't even that heroic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. How much of a reliable narrator is Egg? Yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, well, yeah, that's questionable, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, are there any other actors that you think deserve a bit of recognition that we've uh, we've not mentioned? Um. No, I don't think I do have any others actually. Um, yeah, like I say, it's a bit a uh, bit low on uh, gender representation, but <laughs> it it's is kind of like the core. Uh, You've got your core people, aren't you? Really, it's not really. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, but, you could put those people yeah. and how many more actors there's. There's obviously the the side guys you never really see or hear from. You know, yeah. there's all the extras and stuff that were pretty cool. You know, it all brings it all together. I mean, it, it makes the film what it is. Even the fight in the alleyway, you know, you know, you never really get to see or hear much from, you know, the 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 fighters and what what their beef is about anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, again, it's one of those things where you just don't care because you're you watching it. Yeah. So, what about you, Sandy? Anything? Anyone else that you've uh, that we've neglected to mention, or no, not that I can think of. Cool. So yeah, we'll get on to direction now. And obviously it's John Carpenter, who is just awesome. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what you thought, but I thought there was some great editing on this one. And in the hands of a lesser director, some of the action might have fallen a bit flat. But disregarding the Kung Fu aspects of it, even on rudimentary action pieces, such as uh, when they're escaping from Wing Kong and they're trying to get onto Egg's bus, and the security guards are shooting. It's presented in, in a, it's it's really edited tightly. I think it's done in such a mm. good way that you can't help but get caught up in the action on this one. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's it's a John Carpenter film, and it's very clearly a John Carpenter film. Um, and I mean that in a very positive way. But yeah, I, I would say the editing. Um, I think I think Sandy mentioned it about the. Um, the script as well but yeah fast-paced uh, in that as well uh so it does move along there's not very there's not very many long lulls uh, so yeah it's, it's pacey it's punchy it sort of keeps going keeps pulling you along with it uh so to speak so it's uh yeah i'd agree with that i don't did um i mean assuming you know john carpenter's kind of author kind of uh school of directing don't know if he edited uh, the edited himself as well, or uh, he'd certainly be in the room, wouldn't he? I would have thought so, definitely. He likes to be very much hands-on on his own projects. Yeah. Uh, I'll just find out. But, uh, yeah, Ian, what do you think on the uh, on the directing? <laughs> it's just, it just works, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's like, I think he sort of took it as like a little bit of a project where he thought, I can just toy with this and see where even I can take it, you know what I mean? Because it wasn't a traditional film of the time. It was it was like two or three genres mashed together. Yeah. You know, so that you know you and, and obviously it, films of the time from John Carpenter anyway, he was always big into his practical effects and stuff anyway on set. Uh and just it, it would it's just amazing at how he can put things together like that. And he's you know he's he's sort of 
homage to the Asian martial arts films that he brought into it and just just the culture on that side and then the special effects and then his own music as well, which he likes to do. I, I think that uh, uh, you've just reminded me, I think at the time, one of the taglines on the video was it like something like a, it's a Kung Fu action comedy Chinese ghost story or something like that. <laughs> yeah. God, but, I remember that. Yeah. I actually yeah. remember that tagline. Yeah. Uh, right. just, yeah. I've just found out, uh, Edit, editor was Stephen Murkovich, Matt Warner, and Edward uh, Washilka. But, I, you know, as you said, Nick, I'm presuming Carpenter would have been in the room because... Yeah. He had a vision. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah clearly. Um, I think that's one of the things about Carpenter, but he had the sort of films that really work as well. It's like, it, it, was, it was clearly a director's vision. He'd be clear about what he was making, and he made it. Um, yeah. So every step of the from the script to the um, to the editing room, as it were. Uh, so yeah, I, it no just shows you, though, again. doesn't it? Yeah, it just shows you that Carpenter himself, he's, he has got a good sense of humour, even mm. though he's not really well known for a comedy. But you know, it's 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 yeah. represented in this that he, he can definitely pull it off. Oh yeah, yeah. I I do think it's good that. <sighs> He can get he can get tension out of a scene. I mean, he's well versed in horror, obviously, with Halloween and the thing, and mm. he can straight drama in those aforementioned films. But he's so good at action set pieces as well. When you look at things like you know Assault on Precinct Thirteen and Escape from yeah. New York and yeah. this, yeah. I, I really think he's yeah among certain circles he's loved quite rightly so, but he's never compared in the mainstream with mm. people like Spielberg or Scorsese you know, or, Coppola or Scorsese. Yeah. And I think it's, it's unfair because I think his movies just, I don't, well, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've, you've got his later things, but uh, I, I don't think the guy's done a bad movie. Oh, I might have to dispute that. I'm not going to go into details, but um, well, like but I said, he's, um, it's too much one. genre stuff. That's why he's not accepted. Yeah. I think um, you know, and it's not all the you know a lot of horror, a lot of sci-fi, um, and you know, sort of comedy kung fu films. Um, that that's probably why he's sort of not as accepted as like, as serious a filmmaker, even though those well, maybe not Scorsese, but um, those ones have done, but I, I think it deserves to be up there with those. I would, you know, I would, I would, I would speak his name in the same breath. Hundred percent. I think people myself, would, yeah. yeah, hold him to that high regard. If you know they, they're lovers of his films, I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just as you say, uh, Nick. It's kind of the disrespect that you know a lot of the the industry and people in general have for for genre movies. Yeah, and it's a shame because I'd rather you know. If, if I did, as much as I love things like The Godfather, if I had to sit down and watch The Godfather all day, <laughs> it says a lot about me, I know, but, you know, I'd, I'd rather sit down and watch this. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I'd agree with you on that one. What about you, Sandy? I think um, what was being alluded to earlier, um, you know, how he got his vision across, I think that was his biggest uh, contribution to the film uh, through his direction was was letting them know what that vision is, how we were going to do an action movie against a backdrop of Chinese mythology. And it's not a comedy. It just has very comedic moments. 
and yeah. comedic dialogue. Um, and that um, I think was, was his biggest contribution there. I, th I think there's, there's an element of, yeah, we're talking about the directing, but I think there's an element of uh, the sort of relationship between actor and director, certainly your, your lead actor, one of your lead actors, um, you know, having built up that relationship over, over so much time uh, to give that comfort to the things to actually take risks a bit. Um, so I think, I think that feeds into it. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, um, you know, he just surrounded himself with really good people, uh, on, on, you know, as a whole on the crew as well, the cast and the crew. So, uh, yeah, that, I think that's part of the job of directing as well to you know, ensure your vision is realized by people who understand what you're going for studio yeah. side. Yeah. I mean, he obviously works well with Russell because he, you know, he's, he's made so many movies over the years, although I've yet to see his, uh, his Elvis biopic. But yeah, he's he's done that many. And uh, mm. I think that, that you know, I mean, people talk about, say, you know, Soderbergh and say Clooney maybe, or mm. Tim Burton and oh, Johnny Depp. But I think this, this actor relationship between Carpenter and Russell, they do genuinely come across as friends that love working with each other. And I think that, that rubs off when you're watching it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, seriously, what? If you haven't listened to the commentary, that'll answer all your questions about whether they're friends or not. It's, it's <laughs> just abs just abs it's absolutely uh, yeah, just entirely heartwarming. The one thing I will bring up, uh, and I, di I didn't realise until Mike mentioned it a couple of days ago. Have any of you guys seen the extended ending? Oh no, I read about it. No. You're ringing, you're ringing a bell for me now, but um, I watched it earlier. Yeah, I watched it earlier today on the advice of Mike. Uh, I think I've seen it on YouTube, but you'll have to remember really what it is. When they when they crash out of uh, the, you know, the lair in the truck yeah. at the end, and you know, uh, Mao Yin and and Wang, uh, uh, Wang, sorry, are making out. And Gracie says, "Oh, lights green, you can go." Mm. As as that happens, they uh, you know the car that uh, with the with the gang members that almost run them run them down at the start. Mm. Oh yeah, that drives past. Ah, uh. so uh, Jack follows them in the truck, and mm. they park by the, the the kind of dock. These this this gang they park by the dock in the car, and they're like you know smoking and stuff like that. So Jack Burton just puts his foot down and rams him into the dock. All right. And he says, oh. <laughs> he says, well, I don't know about you, but I feel much better. And everybody in the truck is just like staring at him. <laughs> and then he cuts to the restaurant. But there's also like a kind of little oh. bit. Well, yeah, I think I know where you're going. No, carry yeah. on. But there's, there's, there's also a little bit then in the restaurant. Once Jack leaves, it, it, it plays through as normal. But then once Jack leaves... He uh, he kind of gives it away, so I can understand why they cut this bit. Uh, mm. He's going to his truck, and he seems some kind of like residue towards the back, as if you know how they're doing alien movies with the xenomorph mm. and the mucus and stuff. He sees mm. that, and uh, Egg Shen's still hanging around in the in the alleyway. So maybe that's why it was cut. I'm not sure. He gives Jack a bit of advice, and then Jack gets in the cab and drives off. 
But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I can't understand why they didn't leave that bit in with the the gang members because I thought it's not long enough to kind of break down the pacing. But maybe mm. they just maybe Carpenter just wanted a kind of definitive ending to that. You know, by escaping, they've made it out, and that's it. Or maybe they just thought, yeah, let's not show Jack as a straight up murderer. <laughs> <laughs> no, they weren't murdered. They were just straight in. You know, it was straight into the water. <laughs> straight into the water. It, it, it was it was more kind of you know Disney. Kind of thing, comedic. Yeah, like, yeah it, it like, like, you know, then get out of the cab and start shooting them as they were swimming there. Yeah. So was that? I never understood. Sorry, I never understood about the 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 beast at the end, how it got there in the first place. But <laughs> I, I, you know what? In this movie, I I just don't care. You know, by that point, you've accepted so many things on on faith that you just think, yeah, it's there. It just clung on for dear life. Yeah, <laughs> people into the docks, and then it carried on. <laughs> Speaking of that lovely beast, uh, special effects with regards to, uh, <laughs> to the movie. Apart from that one, and apart from obviously the, the you know the the CSO kind of thing with the beholder, I think it generally holds up. I mean, you've already mentioned the lightning, and that still looks good. Uh, the beholder puppet, I think. I think it looks fantastic. It might not look, you know, kind of there with them all the time, but I still think it looks really good. Yeah, the the I think it's called is it the Guardian? Something like that. Guardian yeah. or something where yeah. That I was it, yeah. Older. I mean this, when, is, this is years of playing D D. When it's sat on the floor and looking at them, and obviously that's a, a practical physical thing that's in that's right there looking at them. That's pretty cool. Obviously when when it was hovering when you first see it and they shoot it, what do you shoot? Jack shoots it. And it sort of hovers off, and then that's kind of like, eh. but you know, overall, yes. that, that was the freakiest creature in it because that's kind of like I had the beholder type thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what did you yeah, guys think to the effects? Yeah, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's '86, so it's all practical uh, and well, and animated, hand animated, as uh, as you said. Uh, yeah, but um, but uh, yeah, I think for the most part they do hold up. I think yeah, the the flying bits a little bit ropey with the sort of compositing, I guess, at the time. Mm. Um, but you know, it's a sort of practical effect, and when you see it on the ground, it's better. I think it worked quite well actually. I think it looked really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the 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 sort of yeti thing was a bit questionable. Um, yeah. It, kind it of a hard thing to pull suit. off as a physical effect. I think that sort of thing yeah, but like proper animatronic bipedal creature yeah they, they did not have the budget for that i think but, even if so, they would have yeah. framed it a little bit differently he could have come out a little bit better because one of the yeah. more distracting things was when he was walking and the toes were floppy bouncing <laughs> yes <laughs> if they had framed that a little bit differently it might have worked slightly better i really like i did not, did not notice that <laughs> But yeah. um, but yeah, there's some there's some really good stuff. I mean, sort of the the effects, uh, you know, for the sort of the, the Chinese magic and stuff. Those are those are sort of quite true to what would have been around at the time. Um, and yeah, 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 some of the practical because I know I know they didn't use wire work. Uh, I think it's I mean it's the 80s and it's American action film, so you know most of the budget probably went on trampolines. Um, but, <laughs> But they used them really well and, you know, got the sword fight in that rather than wire work. Um, but stuff like the, um, yeah, another practical effect, but it's more sort of Hollywood. But, yeah, when he goes down the uh, the ramp on the wheelchair, 
um yeah, that oh, was yeah. just, that, that was a sort of false perspective false perspective kind of thing so it was really a flat thing it was on a, a rail or pulled or something but yeah the camera tilted so and that worked really well as well i thought yeah uh, so a lot, a lot of that stuff was quite good yeah yeah i, I, I did I had a message from Mike earlier, still asking me. I still don't get what is that thing in the sewers. Well, it will come out no more. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. I think. It, I, think cares. <laughs> I think. I think you put it back best for people. Oh, that thing. Oh no, I know what you're talking about now. Sorry. Yeah. Um, oh, that's 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 one of my favourite moments actually. Um, is, um, is it the worm from Tremors? <laughs> it's just it's just Jack Burton. One one of Jack Burton. If we come on to you know favorite lines, this isn't my top favorite one, but you know he says it's just the way he says, "What will come out no more?" You know, it's just yeah, like, you should come out no more. It's like, come out. That's, that's the point where he's like, you know what? I might be a bit of self realization almost. It's, I might be in over my head here, but there he's. Just like, <laughs> yeah. I'll keep I'll keep going. I'm in now. You know, so uh, yeah just excellent yeah uh yeah with regards to the the sound design obviously you know you mentioned it earlier another fantastic john carpenter soundtrack uh with the title with the title theme sung by carpenter and his band the uh the coupe yes. de ville yes classic <laughs> so you guys have anything uh, anything to say about the the sound design or the soundtrack itself no looks <laughs> it's John Carpenter, so uh, you know it is what it is. It's uh, it's a John Carpenter eighty score, um, but yeah, the song at the end is particularly special. But yeah, I, and I have no beef with the uh, the sound design at all. Like the uh, sound effects for like the special effects for the the storms, great and, and yeah. Sort of, yeah, just the other stuff. Yeah, really good. It all comes together perfectly, doesn't it? So it all fits. It yeah. fits. Yeah. yeah, I will say. That all these years later, this this soundtrack is still on my player, my MP3 player. Yeah, really? I have to play the uh, old uh, Porkchop Express intro tune when I'm going anywhere in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Especially oh, when it's raining beautiful. outside. Oh, I think I've got a handle yeah. on your 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 mental health situation now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I really like that. What about you, Sandy? Any thoughts on this? No, I didn't really notice the sound too much, honestly, except for the 80s sound and gunshots. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like stock sound effects there for gunshots, doesn't it? Nice. Well, I think we've discussed the movie, uh, you know, pretty fairly there. But before we move on, is there anything any of you think we didn't cover or, you know, think we didn't cover enough? I actually had a lot of notes regarding uh the cinematography oh go for uh, it i just thought um that was really well done i'm not sure how to pronounce his name is it kundi kundi uh, <laughs> anyways um that uh one scene that was referenced when they were uh the thugs had captured um mao ying and they were just running really fast through the parking garage. And I read that that was actually filmed in reverse and I couldn't tell. I actually couldn't tell even rewatching it later, but really? that's the only way they could do it because they did not have stunt actors for that. Yeah, I read that and I, and I was specifically watching for that and I still couldn't tell. Couldn't tell. 
And then a lot of times when they were moving through the, well, and let me back up, when they were in um, uh, Chinatown, when he drives his truck in, you know, they were talking about how they could control the weather and, and everything in that type of environment. They just knew they couldn't do something that big and have that much control over the weather and the scene. So that was all done indoors. And in order to kind of match the overcast San Francisco vibe, they had lighting and uh, silk layered over the set so that it was kind of filtered and it just looked like natural fog lighting. And just the amount of detail that, that this man put into this movie, I think is what lifted it up from something that could have been more, you know, just goofy uh, yeah. into something much better. Another uh, scene I really liked is when they were in, um, in that uh, alley and when the two gangs are running towards each other and then there's that scene where you're running with them, facing them backwards. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. Just yeah. running like hell. And that was just, I thought also, a really good scene. And then down in the sewers, uh, their first trip down there, their second trip down there, a lot of the scenes were like right behind Jack's shoulder where you were part of the gang kind of walking with them. It wasn't like a quick shot that they gave you. They actually, you know, you walked with them in, you walked with them out this way. And I just thought um, that was all really well done too. Nice. I did, yeah. you, you just reminded me, I did like that in the the fight scene in the alley as well. Where it would it would flip from one kind of fight to another with a, you know like a whooshing sound and a, a, a kind of a blur motion as if you were caught up in the action. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, actually, yeah. that that fight scene when they were all making those uh, symbols at each other. This is how I found out that I have Lindbergh Comstock variant. That is an extra mm -hmm. tendon. I cannot keep my index finger straight and bend my thumb they both bend together i am unable to do that oh, oh. wow can you do that i i can do it we, yeah. we were doing it while we were watching the movie <laughs> yeah. that's how caught up we were <laughs> uh yeah i can do it i think yeah i'm doing it right now I cannot. Well, well yeah, so am I, obviously. <laughs> don't get into any fights in san francisco <laughs> what side you're on yeah, won't be doing that. <laughs> so yeah, any uh, anything else? Anybody? I don't think I do actually. Um, no, I think I've we've pretty much covered everything now. Cool. Thought to mention. Uh, you Ian? No, just uh, you know, it's just it's one of them films. Like I said, it's uh, you know the overall cinematic experience of it. You know, it was just mm. it just. It just hit home, and I just enjoyed it from the first time I saw it. Nice. Well, as usual, we'll uh, we'll get onto our personal highlights with our favourite character line and scene from the movie, and uh, we'll start as usual with the guests. So I'll go to you first, Ian. Who's your favourite character in this, and why? Uh, well, Jack Burton, clearly. <laughs> uh, just it's just one of those characters that me personally, I'm a bit of a doofus. And like you kind of like you know like just I resonated with him a little bit in the sort of I probably think I'm more heroic than I actually am <laughs> situations <laughs> you could imagine yourself being in and thinking yeah I could take that guy 
And then maybe when it comes down to the wire, maybe not, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, it was definitely Jack Burton here yeah, for me. Fair enough. And um, what about you, Nick? Uh, I, I I don't think I can say anything, anything other than Jack Burton. Um, I really want to, because um, there's so much quality on show. But yeah, Jack Burton is just absolutely pitch perfect. Awesome. Sandy? I'm going to have to also say Jack Burton. And it's funny because the whole time they were intending uh, for Wayne to be the main character, but Jack Burton's the, the one that shines, truly. Irony. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. It's a full house because it's Jack Burton for me. He's, yeah, he's not afraid to look stupid. And, and despite the, the bravado, he's just really likable. You, you cannot... Mm hold anything against him he's, he's just a decent bloke so uh so yeah uh favorite scene next and we'll go to you first nick what's your favorite scene in this oh um i've got a few but i'm only going to mention one in case i steal anybody else's thunder okay. um but yeah i'm going to go straight to the top of the list um it's oh i'm changing my mind as i think about it because <laughs> they're all so good um i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with the elevator scene um one of the <laughs> elevator scenes uh with the magic potion uh where they're basically um just really vibing after they're taking the potion is it hot um, in here or is it just me yeah it's just like yeah i've got a really positive feeling about this damn it uh, nick you stole my scene oh i'm sorry mate i was uh, yeah <laughs> So you also the elevator scene. No, right? no, no. Well, I kind of like the end, the ending bit where he kind of catches the knife and throws it back at Lopan. Oh, jeez, uh, you stole my scene. <laughs> <laughs> Those reflexes. Yeah. <laughs> so, go on then, Sandy. What's yours? Um, my favorite scene is actually in the beginning, and it's just because I picked up on the cinematography right away. But in the beginning, when they're in the airport and this the music just starts and uh she calls out to her friend he calls out to his girlfriend and jack's kind of watching things unfold it goes back to jack's face and then the gang's coming up the gang you know tries to grab one girl and jack's fighting them and then the other girl comes out and uh you know just more chaos they end up grabbing the other girl and and running away with her and the scene was just like really cool just there was so much going on there was so much chaos but you never lost track of anybody or lost track of anything that was going on each you know little tidbit they gave you in order this is really well done nice and yeah uh finally favorite line i'll, I'll we'll stick with you sandy so what's your favorite line in this it was uh <laughs> when Jack Burton says wait a minute wait a minute I'm a reasonable guy but I've just experienced some very unreasonable thing it was <laughs> kind of like that was the moment that oh, he yeah. got into it and I just thought that was really funny too cool That's uh, yeah yeah go, go on then what about you Nick what's your favorite uh yeah again there are there are many and it's uh it's a high bar but I'm gonna I, I just because I, I I have been using it ever since the first time I saw this film, I believe, uh, when the occasion demands it. But uh, Son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> I had a feeling it was going to be that. What about you, Ian? 
like I told my last wife. I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. Nice. This one. Mine ties into the my, my favorite scene, the, the, the final one at the end. It's just the way he, he says. Jack always says. Like Jack always says, what the hell? And then he just gets stuck in. I love that. <laughs> yes. Just the way he delivers it. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll give our final scores in a moment. But before that, we'll look into what you out there in the real world thought of this one with the, uh, the audience participation. And, again, so many of you responded to this one. Again, it's one of those slices of greatness that we don't need to prompt people on. The affection for it is so widespread. It's obvious. You know, the movie means so much, and I love that. But, uh, but yeah, you've heard my voice enough. So this week, I'm handing the audience participation section over to Sandy to read your responses. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, Sandy, go for it. All right. So from the uh, Facebook page, we have Robert Lunt, who says, Kim Cattrall, I don't have to say anything more than that. Oh, and there was some monsters, kung fu, a truck and shit. I seem to remember, but mostly Kim. So Robert Lunt really likes Kim Cattrall. Yes, that that's and that's uh, that's on point for uh, for Bob. I think yeah. <laughs> Brick Cowling says a brilliant film, far cleverer than you may expect. Plenty of action, plenty of humor, and an all-American hero who isn't as heroic as he thinks. No wonder it bombed in the states. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Michael Whaley says it's one of his favorites, and Mitch Moses says Kurt Russell's finest moment is Escape from New York, as it helped inspire one of the greatest video game franchises of all time, Metal Gear Solid. But this is still a damn good movie, so thank you for that. Um, and then they also take a look at that sign uh, or that line, are you ready, Jack? I was born ready. <laughs> I think one of Glenn Brooks' favorite lines then was, yeah, all going to shake the pillars of heaven. <laughs> Tom Soon says, a classic. I thought this film, uh, I thought of this film the first time I played Mortal Kombat and saw Raiden. And the same thing for me there. I remember um, whenever I, uh, the other way around, as soon as I saw Thunder here, I thought about Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Uh, this is from our missing piece, Mike. He says, I can definitely see how this film has a cult following. I get the sense that people who saw it in their younger days were hooked by the sense of subversiveness and all-around edgy weirdness, like seeing something naughty you're not supposed to. Watching it for the first time now, I don't have that connection, and large part of it, parts of it just came off as too ridiculous, over-the-top, or just confusing. Seriously, what was the sewer monster about? That said, <laughs> really about that. <laughs> that said, the performances were great, from Kurt Russell doing his best John Wayne impression to the legendary James, always a joy to watch. The action scenes were great. The direction looked as gorgeous as I'd expect from Carpenter. I absolutely love the tongue-in-cheek sense of humor throughout. And I'm going to say something that I never do. I actually think it's too short. It seemed to whiz by and be over too quickly. I definitely watch it again and can see it growing on me, but there was lots that I liked, even if I was missing that extra special layer of connection. That's fair enough. 
um, Adrian from our Discord group and also been on many shows, uh, both Star Trek and uh, Silver, Silver Screen. She says, regarding Big Trouble in Little China, this was a favorite of mine as soon as it came out in 86. Very campy and fun, but with just enough mystic elements to keep me intrigued. Love the special effects and music. Jang Hong was great, and I just love Victor Wong in every role. I bet this movie was fun for the cast to make, which is something we had talked about. Yeah. It did look very fun. Um, from Threads, um, M. Magdalena Art says, it's one of my favorite Carpenter movies, Hilarious Camp. And um, again, just to round it off, Robert Lunt comes back saying, just keep mentioning Kim Cattrall, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Sandy. And uh, thank you to all of you out there who sent us your reactions. The uh, reason I love doing this show is because so often studios brush aside productions that they don't think is worth the time. And many out there say, hold on, this is actually a, you know, a really great movie. They take it to the hearts, and over the years it garners an appreciation that many, you know, supposed tentpole movies fail to acquire. And when we've got an audience reaction section like this, it really highlights it for me. It shows those who run said studios are infallible. They don't always make the right judgment on how to handle projects. Not everything comes down to projections or putting money before artistry. And I think studios could do well to remember that, especially in today's climate. So, uh, so yeah, once again, thank you for your reactions. And if you missed out on getting your feedback to us before this recording, or if you want to discuss something brought up here, then please do so. Either by leaving a comment on our social media, never too late, and we value interaction. Isn't that right, Sandy? That's right. Nice. So uh, yeah, now we know what you out there think of today's movie. And now it's over to us in the quote unquote studio to give our thoughts and our final score out of five. And as always, we'll start with our guest. So this time we'll go first to Nick. Give me your thoughts and score out of five on this one, mate. Uh, oh, I'm just going to sum it up very quickly because I think uh, it's all been said and uh, we've all been just completely agreeing with each other in our love for this film. But yeah, it's uh, if it's got any flaws, I don't know what they are because I'm just too busy having a good time watching it. Um, yeah, it's like I said before, it's not something I often you know, pull out to put on or click the button for these days. But um, but when I'm doing when I do, I'm almost glad I did because uh, it's always a great time, and I'm not I'm not surprised by how good it is. I'm more comforted by it. If you see what I mean, it's like, oh, it is. It's good. It's like, no, I knew it was this good, and I'm glad I watched it again. Uh, yeah, it's a real, it's a real uh, comfort film, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and did you want to score now, or do we do that? Yeah, again? please, mate. Yeah, give it a five. Ooh, nice, nice one. Um, what about you, Ian? Well, yeah, as a cinematic experience for me personally, I'd love to watch it on the big screen they, they must they must put that out somewhere at some point yeah. i'd go and watch it um but yeah you know it's just remains a testament to you know john carpenter's imagination you know his creativity everyone that made the film the sort of how they brought it to life and just being original like an original story i'd love to see another film even on this level <laughs> these days you know because there's not that many about um but yeah, it's a solid film for me, and it's definitely a five. Ooh, 
this is this is oh crikey sunday um i was surprised by how good it was just sorry that i had discounted it in the past but i loved um just really agreeing with the other guys here um the martial art um in this was very good uh, the cinematography the acting the direction the fact that this was something so different and that every element did work like as mentioned um there was nothing extra there was nothing i didn't like um, it didn't require you to have a lot of understanding about what was going on it was just so fun on the surface and then we just also did have these um funny jokes and very witty one-liners just coming at us so fast it's just really um really great movie i did only give it a 4.0 though that's fine that's fine okay well i'll give my score uh apologies to mike because i do i am one of these people that has this uh connection with this movie uh but unlike usually unlike usual sorry i am not going to uh which are on endlessly about this. All I can say is, it's just a god tier movie. It's just—it's so much cleverer than Jack Burton thinks he is, and I've given it five also. Ooh. Which means the Big Trouble in Little China has a combined score from the four of us. It's four point seven five. It's uh, four point seven five. Demon bag, sensational. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, are you guys happy with that? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure for me to talk to you guys uh, today about these movies. I really do appreciate you all being here. So without further ado, I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. First of all, a huge thank you to uh, to my girl Friday this, this week, which is Sandy. Thank you. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah. It was really fun. Fantastic. You're actually becoming more of a host than just a guest at this point. Still, you're still finding some excitement when you do it. All part of my clever plan. Ah, well, I was going to say you really will have to get your uh, your own your own show up and running too. I really want to hear that, especially if it's what I think it's about. Oh yeah. <laughs> now I know we'd go through this every time, but have you got anything you want to draw attention to anywhere the listeners can reach you on social media? I'm still laying low. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Big thank you to you too, Nick. I hope this episode, after all this time, lived up to your expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah, it's It can only be fun to talk about such a fun movie with people who also agree it's fun. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, very, very much enjoyed that. And, uh, yeah, I knew it would happen sooner or later. Uh, <laughs> it couldn't not. But, uh, yeah, and I have uh, absolutely nothing to uh, plug or describe at this point <laughs> yeah you're still living in the same hermit enclosure as sandy and me yeah absolutely it's lovely <laughs> it is <laughs> finally uh last but not least huge thank you to uh to ian for joining us for the first time today you're welcome it's been good nice you've now popped your uh, your cult classics cherry how was it have you yeah. enjoyed it yes spot on man yeah nice we like to keep it easy going you come back again yeah, definitely. Given the awesome. right film. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, is there anything you'd like to promote? Any pages, social media where listeners can find you, hunt you down? Yeah, I mean, 
Uh, I've got a YouTube channel page. Uh, I think if you, if you sort of Googled IS3D or just Ian Sanderson, 3D artist, it'll appear. Um, same as Facebook as well. I'm on the, I'm I'm on the screen, the uh, Silver Screen Facebook page. So, well, as always, I mean, you know, I can put the links in the description course, so yeah. people can yeah. find you and you know check out your work, start you know, like animating and stuff and doing new things. At the minute, I'm actually working on a a three D representation of the alleyway scene in uh, from Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, neat! In, in Unreal Engine, so. I'm really looking forward to that, man. If 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 you get it done any point soon, we'll we'll try and get a link to that as well. Yeah, of course. Brilliant. Sure. Uh, so, yes, folks, you can also come on the show and give us your opinions on a movie, should you wish. Uh, Silver Screen wants you. If you listen today and think, well, they don't know what they're talking about, I can do better than that, although why would you, considering <laughs> considering this movie? Then, uh, then drop us a line on our social media and let us know. If you want to join us on the show, or even if you just want to hop on the Silver Screen Discord, we're always listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, then please hit like, subscribe, leave us a comment to let us know, tell your friends, take an ad in the paper. No help, no matter how small, is refused. And that goes for you if you want to drop us anything in our uh, coffee account. Any tips will be gratefully received. We'll be taking a break for the next couple of weeks as we go over to our sister podcast. The, the, that's the Star Trek Hit or Miss podcast to look at a couple of episodes. So if you're a Trekkie, please check that out. However, we'll be back on the 14th of next month as we take a look at Disney's 1979 dark space adventure, The Black Hole. So be there next time. You won't want me to send uh, Maximilian round your way, would you? Until then, take care out there. And remember, you just look that big old storm right square in the eye and say, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind the scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.